You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. My homie told me that when people rise up against you, what's the sign of your destiny real? Fake ones been hating because they know that one day you're making it. Jealousy's all they can feel. Plug in the fall, drifting my soul. Pain in the future when thinking alone. About when I'm grown, already blown. How'd I get back with this beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life. Beautiful sex with my husband and wife. Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because Today you are in for a treat. I have with me live Chris Ray, Head of Recruitment Strategy at Sainsbury's. And Chris is certainly a superhero in my eyes. And I'm going to be talking to him today about his life experiences and his journey as somebody who is neurodiverse. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast, mate. So pleased to have you on. Uh, would you just like to introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, what you do, what you're about? Hey, Phil. So my name is Chris Ray. I'm Head of Recruitment Strategy for Sainsbury's. And what that means is I look after six key work streams for the multi-channel, multi-brands. Those work streams are brand attraction, social media and events, future talent, supply chain from a recruitment perspective, then into policy process and procedures, the fun stuff, <laughs> and then also assessment selection. Amazing, that sounds like a huge job. I've got a fabulous team to support me, so it's not just all me, but it is fun now. And we came into the business about 14 months ago, so me and my team are new, and we've done some fabulous things over those 14 months. And you've got transformation above your head, haven't you? So you're just literally shaking things I up. Lo- I love transformation, I love technology. Yeah. I'm a big fan of technology. I'm a big believer that technology doesn't replace people's jobs, it enables people. Um, and it takes away the mundane tasks and we can then upskill or give them the space to actually do their day-to-day job that they love to do. Awesome. And I, I suppose we'll come on to this then. Transformation, I guess, fits into your psyche and your way of working, and has that developed over time? Or I think transformation is, it helps through, and it's a big believer for this, is I think big help through my neurodiversity is, my team would say, I work at pace. And I love things done at pace. Yeah. And has that always been the case? Um, so I would say friends, family and work colleagues would say I'm a whirlwind. Um, and I've learned that over the years to really try and adapt how I approach a situation. But no matter what is the pace never goes. Which I find great in some respects. Sometimes it can get tiring for the other people on the other end of it. So when I've been uh, in the same events as you, Chris, and in the same uh, venues, uh, you speak with some level of authority and confidence, which I really like. And I guess you could define it as outspoken, but not in a negative sense. You've got 
a real ability to stand up and be counted and, and communicate with people and I see that as a real strength of yours and that's just for me looking on the outside in. Has that been, uh, have you always been like that? How were you when you were younger? How, how have you developed in life to be the professional you are today? So what probably helped me tell the audience is actually a bit about my neurodiversities and when I was diagnosed first of all. So I got the lucky mix, they called my brothers, unfortunately didn't get the neurodiversities. I got their neurodiversities as we keep each other going. Um, so I'm dyspraxic, ADHD and dyslexic, um, which that meant is I was diagnosed at the age of seven. Um, I was very lucky to have a mother and father who pushed, so dyslexia wasn't a thing. While me going up, neither was ADHD. Um, they just said I was lazy and too hyperactive and um, my mother and father just continued to push and push and push. Um, Lucky enough, um, I got under a number of trials, um, so I was put on Ritalin at the age of eight, um, and I was put on to a number of trials, the likes of the primary movement, the colour glasses for my dyslexia, um, and my mum was part of whether that was the Senko board within school to also um, getting me privately tutored. Um, one of the things that really, my hyperactiveness has never left me. Um, I bounce off the walls. Um, to me is I found it really hard as a growing up. Um, I was very different because the pace I spoke at as well as when I, to keep me, my mind stimulated, I always wanted more. And um, always, or something, so if I was bored, I'd move on to the next thing, um, which is tough within a classroom as well as getting tutored. I, I remember my mum always tells me a story and I can remember it is that the tutor had to follow me around to read. Um, Brilliant. To actually get me to sit and listen and do stuff. And throughout the years, I hid my ADHD and dyslexia and dyspraxia. Um, stuff from a dyspraxia point of view, that was difficult when doing sports within school. Um, anything to do with the ball, I decided not to do, because if that was tennis, I couldn't see the ball coming at me. Yeah. Um, but with the primary movements, that started to adapt, and I started to get my balance and started to get, be able to see the ball coming at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hid it for a very long time. Um, to me, is I just to be ashamed of it because I didn't want to be different. I think more when I was becoming 18, 19, I started to understand it more. But I'd say until my late 20s, I've only started to accept it. And I, I'm still going through that journey at the moment is I talk now so openly about my ADHD and dyspraxia. But if you'd asked me four years ago, would I have spoke about it? No, I wouldn't have put all my health letter into work. I, I wouldn't have wanted to tell anyone because I would have thought is I wouldn't be able to have got a job or I would have thought people would have thought different of me. Um, it's even that is that four years ago I took myself with my tablets and just decided no, I want to give them up. It means no questions will be asked if, if ever an employer needs to see my notes. And last um, year or so I went back on my tablets because actually I see they help. Help. And I really think is that we shouldn't be ashamed, but I see a stagnant change 
in the whole work environment and well-being and mental health over the last year. I still think we've got a lot to do. I think individuals like myself in roles, which I'm very lucky to be in the role I am, is to talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, we're going to have individuals feeling the exact same way that one of us felt either growing up or being in a workplace. And it's okay to be different. Like, it's one of my biggest assets, having the ADHD. Um, I need three hours sleep a night, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. I can sometimes function in 45 minutes. I never got hangovers, which was amazing. I drink less now because I don't think it's also good for the ADHD anyway. Um, but <laughs> to me, it's just an asset. Um, but it's a learning, a learning about it and speaking to people and seeking help whether that's from your doctors or groups that have got a neurodiversity to really start to understand it and don't see it as you being different at all. But I've just lost my train of thought. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Jumping about as I always do. Um, always, always do. But let me jump in there. Awesome. Because I'm, I'm <laughs> it's something I do often. Often getting yeah lost in my thoughts, being stood there thinking it's because I'm, where it was. <laughs> it, it, it's not, it's because I'm, I do it because I'm probably th I'm thinking, not probably, I'm thinking about 10 other things I'm going to do after this meeting. I'm not going to lie, Theo. I'm planning um, my <laughs> afternoon after we speak and also into the next day as well. And that's, that is, it's not a downfall. It's just, we're constantly having things go round in our head. And that's, that is the thing about having ADHD. We're just processing a lot of information on what's going on. And I just find, I find it fascinating, um, really do. And to me is, someone said it on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I'm coming on to this podcast and he's, she stole my idea. Um, I see it as a superhero. Um, I see it as we see the world in a different way. And I think that just comes back to diversity and inclusion, is having someone who doesn't have a neurodiversity and having someone who does, to me is those united can conquer the world. Yeah. And that to me is would be a great world to be in to have a more inclusive setup. But I think right now is we don't have individuals who put their hand up and say, I've got X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. There's McKinsey have done a study, or they've done several studies out, um, you know, that talk around uh, diversity within organizations and increased performance. And there's lots of data out there to show that uh, more diverse teams perform better. And I think neurodiversity is the one that has been um, left behind. Uh, but, but now there's a big shift. So thinking around, you know, when you were talking about only in, in recent years, you've been able to stand up and think, you know what, I'd be, I'm willing to talk about it now. How, how did you uh, manage to manoeuvre through the world of work and, and deal with being uh, neurologically different? So, um, so let's look a couple of points is when I started to deal with it, I think in my personal life, so I'll tell you a funny story is my ex-partner now, um, but his parents thought I was high on cocaine for three months, but they didn't realise with ADHD. I can't say cocaine. You can. Oh, can I? Yeah, I guess. I don't take cocaine, by the way. But, Why not? Um, but it's just interesting. I think more now is that actually, if you don't share your neurodiversity, I think it gets people to question, they'll make assumptions. I think that's what I've learned over the last four years of actually, if you face straight into it, 
people want to ask, people want to learn. And it's great that when I faced it now into my team at Sainsbury's, and one said to me um, a couple of months ago, we were talking about ADHD, and they'd actually researched, and they'd actually spent hours over a period of time, and it was so nice to hear, and it just literally took me back. And it just shows, I hit myself now and go, why didn't I speak about it earlier? Yeah. And it's easy for me to say that now, being in a position that actually I can make change and I can lead. But if someone said, could I go back and say to my manager when I was starting off my time in recruitment over 12 years ago, um, I would change that and I would actually tell them now and I wouldn't be embarrassed of it. Do you not fear that, um, to, and I've seen this sometimes through speaking to people, they want to do the right thing. You can speak to them in isolation, an organisation wants to do the right thing, the manager wants to do the right thing, but actually when it comes to it, they inadvertently do the wrong thing because they think, yeah, I understand what you're telling me, Chris, but actually when it comes down to it, they still um, will go, oh, yeah, but you, you kept interrupting in meetings. Yeah, but you kept doing that. You know, they find reasons to look at some of the negative aspects rather than focusing on, on the positives. So there's, there's two bits. There's, there's companies that can do stuff wrong, but at least they're trying. That's fine. They're not going to get it right all the time. As we've said, it's, it's been forgotten about. It's new, it's new, and I do inverted commas, but company that's learning and company that's adapting, that's fine. A company that is constantly pulling you up on that you're interrupting and they're not adapting, then you shouldn't be in that company. Um, and I'm a big believer is you spend nearly 80% of your life within work. That's my own estimation. Um, but why be in a place that you don't feel comfortable? And to me is I'd rather be in an organisation that embraces who I am than being an organisation that I have to hide who I am. And that's one thing I think Sainsbury's is amazing. We have embraced the difference. Yeah. Um, and embrace the difference catches all minorities, whether that's LGBT, neurodiversity, BAME, I could go gender, I could go on, but, and we have an initiative, if we see something that doesn't sit well or doesn't live within our values is we call it out. Yeah. And everyone has the empowerment to call it out. But I think that really resonates with me coming to Sainsbury's is, I was very cynical because I moved from healthcare into corporate. And I was just like, corporate, will they just say, this, are they actually doing it? Is I've been in a business where we don't get everything right, we know that, and we're constantly trying to evolve, and we're the third biggest employer in the UK, and yeah. trying to move, as I call it, the organisation. But we do colleague-led stories. We really push, and we really strive to be the best. And to have that initiative of embracing the difference, I just think is absolutely wonderful. Um, our whole ops board have are le le leading different initiatives from a diversity and inclusion point of view. But it meets nicely because the colleagues lead the stories. Yeah. And I think they both have to work together. It's not top down or down up. I think we all have to work together, but we've got loads to do. And 
to me is as long as a company's trying and they're trying to make change and they're not doing lip service, that's a company I want to work for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. But also, I think nobody's really got this right. So the fact that um, you within let a, me jump in now. Yeah, what, go on. What, what's right? What is right? Like, if, like people ask me, is what is right? Do if someone says to me, is do I want to be segregated for me be having ADHD? No. What I want to do is I want to be listened to, and I want to be able to have allies. People who don't have neurodiversity, I don't want to be separate, I don't want to be hired because I'm ADHD or I'm dyslexic or I'm a gay man. To me, is it comes back to is actually listen to that's thought about and we're not excluded. Yeah. But if, if someone can tell me what right is, do let me know because I don't know what it is either. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my opinion. That's just, I just don't know what right is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. But, uh, Thank you. I get it all the time. <laughs> no, it, it, the reality is we're complex human beings, aren't we? And neurodiversity is no different. No, um, and I think the, the term neurodiversity, this is why it's been so powerful recently, and this is why I'm doing this, is that um, no uh, two people are the same. No two people with autism, no two people with ADHD, and we are complex, so we have more than one, which has been a big eye-opener for a lot of people that you may not be ADHD, you may also be dyslexic, dyspraxic. Yeah, definitely. And to me, is, as you know, as I've said earlier, is I've got all three, and dyslexic, dyspraxic, and ADHD, and all work very differently. Um, I think, to me, is one of the hardest pieces was the ADHD. The dyslexia, you're able to tutor. You're able to go to classes and get help. You've got Grammarly which is an app that checks your, checks, um, your writing, which I have and yeah. all my equipment within work and personal life. Um, dyspraxic, you can practice movements, you can do stuff. I think the ADHD gets very complex and that's just for me. I think it's got so multifaceted, um, some pros, some cons. Um, and to me, is there's still a lot more to learn regarding it. And I think you can have different severities of ADHD as well. And when I speak to my psychiatrist or my GP and doctor and consultant, is that everyone has different parts. So for instance, is holding conversations. So when I'm in a room, I have to be very, very mindful is that I can have five different conversations and come back to conversations. So for instance, I'm having one, jump to the next thing, jump back, jump forward to another thing and come back and nearly bamboozled. <laughs> everyone in the room but in my head i've answered all my questions yeah and um, so it works in different ways um but i do think is there still needs to be a lot of research so what your comment said earlier is i still think there still needs to be a lot of research what adhd means yeah but it's so complex because the severity of different adhd that people have absolutely well, I associate with it and I didn't find out till I was 39. So, you know, for me, I always thought dyslexia was the thing that impacted me, but actually ADHD, as you mentioned there, I think is the thing that impacts me most. And where I am in this severity, I don't know. Um, but it is the thing, and it's that your mind always go in, moving around conversations, you have an understanding of what's been asked, what's going on, but perhaps other people have not kept up or understand your train of thought. All of that really resonates with me. Uh, and, you know, be getting lost within conversations, my trade of thought, my thinking going beyond, like you mentioned, because you 
are focusing on five other things. Yeah. So you've actually solved maybe three problems in your mind, but then this thing over here, you, you've moved on from it. And it's interesting, is and how do I describe it sometimes? It's in some of my team, and I give my team full authority to pull me back sometimes, is I'm already in the car driving down the road, and they're literally looking for the keys to go to the car. Yeah. And that's hard for an individual because they feel they're not listened. It's not, it's just, I've found a solution to that problem already. And, and that, com that comes back to is if you explain the neurodiversity, then that individual then knows and then knows is actually, how do they adapt and what do they do? Um, and that comes back to is in a work sense is it has been one of the best things in my career. And it's made me who I am and made me successful in what, what I've been able to do within the resourcing industry. In a personal life, I think it's hard because you can be very intense to individuals. And I think that's with friends and with partners. It can just be draining sometimes. And to me is that that's been one of the hardest pieces. And I continue to work on that um, throughout my life and my, my friends, family have been great, but I know it's tough on them sometimes. That's so interesting. And, I, and I, it, again, it, it really does resonate with me. And I think for people out there who may not even know, like I didn't know a couple of years ago, and that, that impact on other people that you're not aware of and the way people respond to you, for, for me, it was aggression. And sometimes it did become aggression because of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Somebody feels I'm being aggressive, as a young person, they become aggressive, I become aggressive. Yeah. And I think also is um, the more I learn about it, so for instance, I'm drinking less and less now, and is because actually I do know that alcohol isn't the best thing for it. Yeah. Um, because you can risk of not seeing things logical because it can have side effects. So I think we go back to everyone's different but for me it is I've started to realize for instance I gym every day yeah it works for me it clears my brain yeah I'll also train in the evenings if I'm because I can <laughs> feel I can feel when there's a slight change um in my mood or what's going on but I can completely agree with you I think it's not aggression I think it's trying to process the logical thought because the ADHD started to flare. Yeah. And that was a real hard for me over the years to try and understand is, I'm an aggressive person, or actually, no, it's because you're getting frustrated because you're seeing something that that other individual isn't seeing, yeah. and they're not understanding how you're articulating yourself, because it comes back to the, the analogy is, they're looking for the case, you're down the road, yeah. and we, it's not connecting. and. That's hard to come overcome and a lot of frustrations I felt out there throughout the years. Um, more in my personal life yeah. than in my work life. Because my work life is, I just set myself a task and then get to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, thinking around um, the way you now structure your work environment, how do you get the best out of these superpowers? You know, you've obviously got a huge amount of energy a huge amount of ability to communicate, to make sense of situations, to move rapidly through problems. How to ensure that you're always working to your optimum? So to me it is that I have, ta I set 
priorities and what do I want to achieve and when do I want to achieve it. And I've actually come up with the framework quite recently for my team. So it's discovery, develop and implement. And though so to me is that's all agreed before I'll go and do a priority. I, and it comes back to is about getting things done is my biggest watch out is I try to do sometimes too much but I can because I need less hours sleep and I continue to go, 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 go. But I have to be very mindful as how does that impact my team? How does it impact my personal life around me? And that's the hardest part. I struggle to have a work-life balance because I can end up getting addictive yeah. to the project and making it work. So recently um, I launched a, a new employer brand for our digital tech and data part and we did it in 50 days from start to finish Brilliant. so that's great but I also need to I know when I'm talking to friends as I'm now more aware and I'm going you're not going to hear me from 50 days if I ignore your messages before then I would just blank them for a period yes. of time and they were like where have you been um so it's more about how I act as a person and how you can speak to people in the form is that they might see a change in behavior that you get into a real focus and work. I, I, honestly, I find that fascinating and I think that's brilliant advice for anybody, um, any hiring managers, anybody within a team who's working with somebody who's thinking differently. These are the types of things that they need to think about or that they may be aware of and see in somebody and can realise, actually, this is just... Um, 100%. And I think one thing we shouldn't do is ever self-diagnose people. Um, but what yes. we should do is make people feel comfortable that they can approach us as leaders, line managers, or whatever. And if you don't have a neurodiversity, is make sure the individuals in your team feel comfortable. Yeah. Because um, they'll open up. And if you are a leader, let's flip it around. If you're a leader or a manager and you do have a neurodiversity, share it with your team. Yeah. Share your story, even if it's not a neurodiversity, if it's a mental health or LGBT or BIM, sure who you are, because you'll start to see a change in dynamics within your team and people will open up to you. And that's a, that's a big piece of my leadership and management skills is I'm honest to who I am now and I'm not going to change who I am. And that's the right thing. And you can't in some respects because it's our neurological makeup, right? We can. We can try and adapt the way we work, but we are who we are, and we should be proud of that fact, right? Yes, 100%. And adapting couldn't agree with you more, Theo. We are who we are. Let's not be embarrassed about it anymore. And that's the main thing, is let's not be embarrassed. But I do get it is, and I have to bring it back, is it's easy for me to say it now, because I've went through that journey, and that journey was up, down, lows, low of the lows, to now I have the highs to the highs and I still continue to, to still continue to coach myself. And the one thing I would say is never be afraid as an individual to seek help as well. Yeah. Speak to your doctors, speak to a therapist. There's no shame in it. Yeah. If you have an EAP line, speak to your EAP, which your employee assistant programs and just speak to people. Yeah, I agree. And seek out, seek out people who, who perhaps will understand as well. And you know, I've been talking to a lot of people now and, and there's something quite therapeutic about that. And there's something you mentioned before, which I think is great advice that I just want to highlight, uh, which is 
it, and it costs nothing, which is to speak to your team, to the people who you work with, because that is the cheapest, easiest, most effective way um, to help people understand. And it doesn't have to be a label, it is just around explaining to people why you feel a particular way, how you like to interact with them, and that can just bring down so many barriers, right? Couldn't agree more. I, I do think it brings down barriers through. Um, but I think people sometimes are just so scared within work that they may be judged. But, and this is just me, it's probably nine times out of 10 now is people embrace it. We still hear the horror stories, but hear horror stories about everything. Is piece of advice, if they don't like it, leave. Yeah, because you shouldn't be there because you, it will make it worse. Because there's only so long you can lie who you are yeah. before getting caught. And that's, I'm a big believer in that is don't put yourself, because it will have lasting effects on you throughout life. Yeah. Got a bit deep there, didn't yeah. I? Sorry. Well, <laughs> <laughs> went off in a little word of my own. <laughs> I, I love it, mate. I love it, and I, uh, I, you know, really agree. At the end of the day, mental health is is more important. Family, friends, you know, we've got to protect ourselves and them as much as we can. Because you know, once it's broken, it, it's really hard to go back and uh, and fix it. Yeah, I can agree more. Chris, been amazing. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I, I love this story. Hopefully, people can understand me. Are you are you going to put are you going to put subtitles? In? We can try. We Just can try, try and subtitles. <laughs> Because people are probably going, what is he saying in Irish? <laughs> no, that's just I speak. <laughs> no, but pleasure, Theo. A really pleasure. And do you know what is sharing it is what I'm doing is now I've shared it with my team is if I can start to really cast my net and share with individuals. And it's out there is if anyone wants to contact me on LinkedIn or just reach out to me, I may not get back to them straight away, but I will respond at some point. About 50 days. Probably 50 to 100 <laughs> days. Um, you, know, you know how busy you get, but I will get back to you at some point. Absolutely. And I've seen your superpowers in action, mate. I think you're brilliant. So uh, keep doing too what kind, you're doing. Too kind. Thank you so much. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share, and comment. We'd love to hear from you.